As one of New York's oldest major bridges, the Brooklyn Bridge is perhaps the most notable and serving 100,000 cars, 4,000 cyclists, and 10,000 pedestrians daily, it also remains practical. When the bridge was first opened to travelers, it was widely considered to be the eighth wonder of the world and has towered over the Eastern River for over 130 years. This magnificent structure was faced with many challenges. Challenges resolved at a hefty price. This is the story of the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. By the start of the 19th century, trade and commerce had reached a significant boom in New York City. At that time, the site that the Brooklyn Bridge would later go on to occupy was a port harboring countless ships vital to national trade and passenger ferries. You see, New York had not always been the sprawling, interconnected metropolis it is today. In fact, through the 19th century, Brooklyn itself was an entirely separate city. Some would say that if it had not been adopted as a part of New York, it would have grown into one of the largest cities in all of America. Separated by the East River and only accessible from Manhattan by boat, the village of Brooklyn was isolated and primarily made up of sheep farms at the time. But as the century went on, both New York and Brooklyn saw incredible growth, resulting in the East River being filled with horse-powered ferries and sailboats, eventually joined by steam ferries in 1814. But in 1825, when the Erie Canal was completed, New York saw an incredible economic boom, and the rise of the city flourished, ushering in new demand for river crossings. Factories and warehouses began popping up along the length of the East River, and the markets were rich with a variety of goods from the Midwest. Around this time, many of the working class, primarily from New England, arrived seeking new opportunities produced by the Erie Canal's completion. According to Maritime Heritage, barges full of produce and raw materials went east, while manufactured goods and supplies went west. New York's ports became much busier, with South Street, being referred to as the Street of Ships. Over the course of almost 25 years, Brooklyn grew into a large city. Gas lights began to light the streets, many smokestacked factories towered the shoreline, and in 1848, the Brooklyn Borough Hall opened. During the 1840s, Brooklyn's population doubled from 40,000 to around 80,000, coinciding with the first significant wave of immigrants. Many of the new arrivals were Irish escaping famine and Germans escaping a failed revolution. So between the canal opening and the immigrants, Brooklyn was rapidly transformed into the third largest city in all of America. By the late 1800s, the second wave of immigrants came from Europe, including Russians, Italians, and Poles, alongside Jews, Norwegians, and Danes. So by the end of the 19th century, more than one million people were living in Brooklyn. Incredibly, over 30% of them were born in foreign countries. But despite Brooklyn's booming industry, there was also a growing problem. With so many people living in the same place, ferries couldn't meet demand. At the time, they served over 32 million passengers yearly. Up to 40% of Brooklyn's residents commuted daily, an amount of traffic that was both dangerous and impractical for the river. And it was this reality that triggered many minds to consider a new solution. 
The solution was both obvious and seemingly impossible, the longest bridge the world had ever seen. The man to tackle this challenge was Prussian-born John Augustus Robling, and the Brooklyn Bridge was far from his only project. In fact, after immigrating to the United States in 1831 at the age of 25, he helped to settle Saxonburg in western Pennsylvania and became employed to work on the statewide canal system. A crucial part of this system was the series of planes used along its lengths to haul barges over abrupt shifts in terrain, offering Robling priceless insight on superstructures. Robling was also a significant advocate and pioneer of rope. Due to his concerns over heavy reliance on breakable hemp rope and the many resulting safety issues, his new rope, made of wire rather than hemp, was both strong and flexible. This innovation was so successful that he received a patent for his quote-unquote new and improved mode of manufacturing wire rope in 1842. This wasn't his only innovation, but it was key to his first wire cable suspension bridge in 1844. A wooden aqueduct carrying Pennsylvania's central east-west canal across the Allegheny River into downtown Pittsburgh. Another work key to his design progression was the Delaware Aqueduct in 1847, surviving until today as America's oldest suspension bridge. These products helped develop a method of spinning the heavy iron wire cable and anchoring them in more securely, in turn allowing for longer and longer suspension bridges, making the impossible possible, which was exactly what New York and Brooklyn needed at the time. In 1848, Roebling moved to Trenton, New Jersey with his family and established the John A. Roebling Sons Company for the production of twisted wire cable. The company was prolific, with projects ranging from the Niagara River Gorge Bridge in 1855 to Pittsburgh's Sixth Street Bridge in 1859 and the Covington-Cincinnati Suspension Bridge in 1856. Each of these bridges was an incredible marvel of innovation and gorgeous design. With the Cincinnati suspension bridge being the longest ever built, Roebling single-handedly managed to address many of the most pressing concerns of suspension bridges, such as failing under heavy winds and loads. His combination of confidence, innovation, and success really made him an attractive candidate to build the Brooklyn Bridge. You see, there had long been a push to build a bridge connecting Manhattan and Brooklyn, two of the country's largest cities, with the first proposal being Thomas Pope's flying pendant lever bridge in 1800. Even as the Brooklyn Bridge was being planned, the idea wasn't dropped until it was discovered that the wooden cantilever bridge was not nearly stable enough to carry such an immense amount of people. Though the flying pendant lever bridge took a great deal of planning and was incredible, it just couldn't compete with Roebling's work. This project was a very big deal. Although the Brooklyn Bridge was not the first built to cross the gap from Manhattan, that title goes to the King's Bridge constructed in 1693, this project had extremely high stakes. In 1866, the New York Bridge Company was founded, and not long after, Roebling was brought on board as chief engineer. Originally called the Manhattan and Brooklyn Bridge, it was planned to be constructed of steel wire, allowing it to reach new heights, a far more robust, significant, longer bridge than any 
ever built before it. The design consisted of two tiers to accommodate not only cable cars, but vehicles and pedestrian walking space. The project was approved and met with funding from New York State. However, the infamous William M. Tweed, also referred to as Boss, later swore in testimony that he played a large part in the funding after facilitating bribes of up to $65,000 thousand dollars to New York's alderman. According to History.com, he did this to win a backing of 1.5 million dollars for a bond issue. Tweed also became a significant holder of stock in the bridge and a part of the committee that managed the project's finances, before his ultimate arrest anyhow. Another method used to help fund this massive project was by renting out large vaults beneath the anchorages in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Believe it or not, there was space allocated to store wine and champagne pain, which held steady temperatures year-round. The Manhattan side of the bridge was stunning, with its cellar named the Blue Grotto covered in frescoes depicting European vineyards. While these spaces closed in the 1930s, one inscription was discovered decades later in 1978. Faded but intact, it reads, Who loveth not wine, women, and song, he remained a fool his whole life long. Allegedly, Congress authorized construction around 1869 after carefully deliberating how to best build the bridge without piers or drawbridges, which were both deemed implausible due to the height of ship masts. Once the plans were laid, it was no secret that the Brooklyn Bridge was going to be the greatest test of engineering. Those on the project openly aspired to place the Brooklyn Bridge amongst accomplishments such as Egypt's Suez Canal or the Transcontinental Railroad. Roebling was extremely confident in his project, even proclaiming that it would not only be the greatest bridge in existence, but that it would be the greatest engineering work of the continent and age. And then tragedy struck. In 1869, Roebling was involved in a terrible accident that claimed his life. He was in the process of surveying when a boat smashed one of his feet. He ultimately contracted tetanus from the incident and passed only three weeks later. In his wake, Roebling's son and business partner Washington A. Roebling became chief engineer. Washington had worked with his father on many bridge projects and helped design the Brooklyn Bridge, and so it seemed like a perfect fit. However, Washington would also fall ill as a result of a work-related injury, leaving the chief engineer bedridden. His illness, a condition referred to largely as the Benz, or caisson disease, a medical condition that was caused by the moving out of high-pressure atmosphere too quickly, an illness that was most probably rather inevitable. Let me explain. In order to place the bridge's foundation on solid rock, massive wooden boxes were sunk into the water, then pressurized air was pumped in to keep water and debris out. The caissons provided enough dry underwater space for the workers inside to dig out the foundations. These workers, many of whom were immigrants working for a rate of $2 an hour, were commonly referred to as sand hogs. They used shovels and dynamite to slowly break through to the river's bottom. After reaching the depth of 44 feet on the Brooklyn side and 78 feet on Manhattan side, the caissons were backfilled with concrete, then enclosed with bricks and laid granite as they made their way back up to the surface. Work conditions were vile. The caissons were filled with hot, dense air. 
According to History.com, it was not uncommon for workers to suffer symptoms that included blinding headaches, itchy skin, slowed heartbeats, and bloody noses. The most scary part of the underwater work probably took place during the trips to and from the caissons. You see, in order to reach the riverbed, workers had to ride in an airlock, which was a small iron container filled with compressed air that would be sunk into the river. While one could breathe inside the confined space with the water sealed outside, the process also sealed dangerous amounts of gases in the workers' bloodstream. The gas would dissolve into their blood as they worked, and then release dangerously fast upon resurfacing. The bends affected hundreds of men, killing several men and leaving others permanently impaired for the rest of their lives. It wouldn't be until the 1900s when scientists finally discovered a way to prevent the bends entirely by bringing the airlocks to the surface far slower and allowing the workers to decompress less rapidly. In 1909, New York passed America's first caisson safety laws that brought the tireless sandhog workers under protection just in time for the digging out of the railway tunnels under the Hudson and East River. However, the list of those affected severely was long, including Washington himself, who fell ill with the bends and was partially paralyzed for the rest of his life, along with a steadily worsening deafness and partial blindness. He was rendered bedridden only a few years into the construction and was forced to carry out his duties as best he could from his bed, often observing the construction process through a telescope with his wife Emily relaying instructions and receiving messages on his behalf. In fact, she was a vital piece of the communication puzzle, ferrying information back and forth between the workers and the ailing chief engineer. Over 11 years, Emily was handed the responsibility of her husband and met the challenges head on, taking all necessary measures, such as studying mathematics, materials, and even cable construction. She was so incredibly integral to the Brooklyn Bridge's construction that many people came to believe she was the real designer. Be that as it may, she was at minimum a driving force of the construction. And it's only fitting that she would later become the first person to cross the Brooklyn Bridge after its opening in 1883. Decompression sickness was not the only challenge that workers faced. Originally predicted to be completed by 1880, the Brooklyn Bridge suffered a near-catastrophic chain of events over the course of its construction. For example, a blast of compressed air shook the site, destroying one of the many caissons. Then, a severe fire broke out and scorched the site. When on the Manhattan side of the bridge, a cable fell loose from its anchorage and crashed into the river. The bridge also had to replace a large amount of the cable work due to a fraud case from one of their suppliers. And by the end of its 14-year construction, 20, if not more lives had been tragically lost in disastrous incidences. And yet, those who remained on the project persisted in pursuit of their ambitious goals. You might even say that today their courage shines in the form of a bridge that's known to the world, honoring the sacrifices of many. The identical towers, constructed of limestone, granite, and Rosendale cement, reached 268 feet in height. They were distinguishable by their large Gothic arches, allowing the roadways to pass through. Standing tall over the expanse of the Brooklyn Bridge, 
They were constructed in the image of the windows of a church cathedral, and in their day, they were widely heralded as the most prominent thing to ever be built in North America. Not only did they do most of the weight bearing for some of the most massive cables across the bridge, but they also held the cables and the roadway high enough to avoid interference with river traffic passing below. As they were erected, it is said that the workers rarely complained. Even when some of the men were called upon to heroically secure the job site during a massive storm that threatened to devastate the New York coast. As snow ravaged the riverbanks, obscuring the city in a cloud of winds, a small team braved the extreme conditions, ascending the endangered bridge in 65 mile an hour winds. They moved slowly as unsecured cables left on the bridge lashed out, clashing like a steel whip overhead. People nearby feared that the lashing cables would snap at any moment and crash down. The waves of the East River were breaking violently far beneath the small team's feet. One account states that the sound of the cables being tossed in the wind was loud enough to be heard blocks away, a thought made even more nerve-wracking by the very idea of crossing the unfinished bridge in such hazardous conditions. It took two hours of careful work to finally secure the loose cables. Miraculously, all of the men returned. The bridge also came out unscathed, with the footpath completely intact. This speaks to the quality of which it was constructed. Had the Brooklyn Bridge been made out of wood, it would have been torn apart by the raging winds. Costing $15 million, the Brooklyn Bridge officially opened to the public on May the 24th, 1883. And as previously mentioned, Emily Roebling rode the first carriage across from the Brooklyn side. According to Britannica.com, she carried a rooster as a symbol of victory. The celebration was immense as crowds from far and wide came to bask in the glory of the completed bridge, which now was one of the largest achievements of the generation. It was truly unparalleled. The grand opening was attended by thousands of people who flocked out to witness the dedication ceremony presided over by U.S. President Chester A. Arthur and New York's Governor Cleveland. On the opening day of the Brooklyn Bridge, which was now the only land connection between New York and Brooklyn, the two cities' mayor locked arms in celebration of their newfound unity. The opening also greatly inspired the arts, drawing poets, photographers, and painters as visitors. While crossing the bridge today is free, visitors then were charged a three-cent toll to cross the newly constructed bridge when it first opened. An estimated 150,000 people walked across the completed bridge within the first 24 hours alone, along the large promenade designed especially for pedestrians. And despite all of the festivities, there were were also some pretty harsh PR issues to address. By May the 28th, 1883, concerns began to spread because of how popular the bridge became. The New York Tribune even printed a front-page story suggesting that the bridge was too popular, citing fears over a riot because of the massive crowds. Two days later, on Wednesday, May the 30th, 1883, a catastrophic event widely referred to as the Decoration Day Tragedy, or the Brooklyn Bridge Elephant Stampede, severely shook the confidence that the people held in the Brooklyn Bridge's stability. On the day of the tragedy, hundreds of people had packed the bridge's stairs so densely that crowds began pushing and shoving. A young girl was the first to fall, calling a woman to scream, and another to proclaim that there was danger. Their calls resulted in widespread panic, as many assumed that the bridge itself was unstable and going to collapse, so everyone on the bridge rushed to escape. 
bystanders who were off the bridge, likely hoping to help or see what was happening, rushed towards the scene. As thousands filled the promenade, things became even more deadly. Amidst the panic, the narrow staircase leading up was so completely mobbed with people that tragically, 12 had died, and over 35 were left injured in the massive stampede that shook the city to its core. The situation seemed hopeless until resourceful workers cut parts of the iron fence out, allowing those trapped within to escape out onto the streetcar tracks below. In modern day, this area now serves as two traffic lanes. Anyhow, all kinds of rumors spread across New York following the tragedy. The New York Tribune reported that those in Madison Square believed 25 people had been killed and hundreds more were wounded. On the other hand, on 42nd Street, it was believed that the bridge itself had collapsed entirely and claimed the lives of 1,500 people. The blame for this stampede fell directly on the bridge's management for failure to properly deploy a police force to contain and disperse the crowds. As a result, it became standard practice to keep uniformed police officers on the bridge to ensure that the devastation of Decoration Day would never happen again. However, the damage of gossip was done. People really clung on to the idea that the Brooklyn Bridge was in danger of collapsing. And oddly, to prove the integrity of New York's greatest marvel, an actual stampede of elephants would come to cross the bridge. Although the rumors of the Brooklyn Bridge's supposed instability were categorically false, they ran rampant over the following year. And the fact that the Brooklyn Bridge was the longest in the world and the first of its kind to use steel cables didn't help. Little stunts had been performed in the past to try and win over the public. For example, in 1876, the chief mechanic crossed between the two towers on a cable in a stunning public demonstration of his unwavering confidence in the design. But it wasn't until 1834 when the famed American showman P.T. Burnham put on an incredible spectacle that faith in the Brooklyn Bridge would return. Burnham led an incredible parade of 21 elephants across the bridge to prove its strength, reassuring the public and bringing a spotlight to his circus. However, the fact of the matter is that the completed bridge was six times stronger than considered necessary, with a capacity of 18,700 tons. That's over 2,500 elephants. And although this odd display fixed the public's trust in the bridge, it was involved in a few actual scandals. Have you ever heard the saying, I've got a bridge to sell you? Strange as it may sound, that saying originates from the Brooklyn Bridge. It was coined after con artist George C. Parker allegedly came up with the idea of selling the Brooklyn Bridge to unwitty passerbyers, primarily tourists and immigrants who knew very little about the bridge itself. Many say that he sold the bridge twice a week for two years straight. Parker was so successful at his conning that he sparked a wave of other con artists to try and sell the bridge and turn an illicit profit. While none were as successful as Parker, the saying, I've got a bridge to sell you, spawned from this new wave. With Parker eventually being arrested for his scams, in 1928, he was sent to Sing Sing Correctional Facility for the rest of his life. The bridge has always been somewhat plagued by urban explorers. For example, in 2014, a 24-year-old man was arrested after attempting to climb the Brooklyn Bridge to take photos. Authorities reported having seen a man walk past the security gate towards a beam leading up the tower. As he started to climb the shaft, Authorities were quick to act. New York Daily News reports that patrols, aviation, 
harbor, and emergency services all raced to the scene and were ready to apprehend the man on sight. After taking his photos, he climbed back down and was promptly taken into police custody the moment he reached the security gate. And this situation has really been something of a reoccurring theme. Earlier that same year, two artists from Germany managed to climb the towers, evading detection under the cover of night. Once on top, they replaced the American flags with two white flags. It wasn't until construction workers arrived on the scene later that the changes were discovered. A few months after this prior incident, a French tourist who wanted to climb and take pictures was also apprehended. In one year alone, three tourists to New York had attempted to climb the Brooklyn Bridge with others expressing support and desire to imitate their behavior. As a result, the New York PD took security measures to the next level, training officers to scale the cables routinely. In modern day, the Brooklyn Bridge is still incredibly popular. It sees thousands upon thousands of vehicles and pedestrians daily and has been referenced in many aspects of pop culture. Some couples even eternalize their love on this bridge. Though it's officially illegal to place them, it's not uncommon to see so-called love locks scattered about the structure. These small locks are inscribed with the initials and dates of couples who have visited the bridge. They attach the lock and throw the key into the East River, promising one another that their love will last forever. In a sense, that was the whole idea of the bridge attaching Brooklyn to Manhattan. And now, two cities have truly become intertwined as one. For more New York stories, check out our New York History playlist, subscribe, and let me know in the comments what story you'd like to hear next. This is Ryan Sokash, signing off.